Well, it's great to be with you again today. Uh, last week we started uh, looking at 1 Corinthians 15, and today we want to conclude the rest of the chapter by looking especially at this question of the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Uh, Australian society, I think, largely misunderstands death. It's not a subject we like to talk about. And the, recently with the coronavirus, we've been sort of uh, confronted by the reality of death and the, lay, uh, the daily death numbers uh, seem to hit us powerfully, whatever the circumstances. And part of the reason is, I think, over the last sort of decades, we've sort of sanitised and domesticated death. Uh, rarely now do we confront death up close. Um, some of you may, but that's a rare occurrence. And generally bodies are disposed of in a way, reverently, but in a way that we don't have to interact with that so much but face-to-face. Um, increasingly, in many circles, uh, when it comes to the funeral arrangement, we don't call them funerals, we call them celebrations of life. And I understand why, but just reflect about we don't want to talk about death. It's a celebration of life. And on some occasions, and not Christian circles, I want to say, but you hear when people gather, they'll say something like this, well, at least they're in a better place now. It's vague and unformed, but at least we're sort of comforting ourselves with, it's okay, whatever's happened, it's okay. Now, as Christians, we're not vague when it comes to death. Uh, we can rightly comfort ourselves with the knowledge, sure and wonderful, that when someone dies who's in the faith, they're in glory now with the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's a wonderful thing to be assured by. As true as that all may be, I want to say death still remains something troubling. There's something outrageous and difficult about death, even for us as Christians who know what the final outcome will be. Is never right. It's never, well, shrug your shoulders and say, well, it just happens, doesn't it? And that's the whole COVID-19 thing, you know. Death is delayed, but death is still inevitable for everyone. And it's ugly. It's confronting. It yells us the world is not right. It's just wrong, wrong, wrong all the time. Death Whatever stage, whatever circumstance, it's wrong, it feels wrong, and it is wrong. Uh, it's interesting when John, uh, Peter, sorry, Jesus was confronted by death in John 11 in the story of Lazarus, he was not indifferent. He lived in a world where death was common, uh, but when he's confronted with the death of his close friend, you see this outrage and troubling as he was deeply moved, and the language deeply moved was this sort of sense of this sort of inner turmoil, and it, tears were not just tears of sorrow, tears of outrage. He didn't just shrug his say, ah, well, there you go. And we need to be like Jesus. We don't just become numb to death. Whatever the circumstances, we are moved by the sadness the troubling nature of death. And so it's never right every time we go past a cemetery. It's a reminder of the way we live in a world that is not as it should be. Death is outrageous. And some things happen in the world to deal with death that we need to keep coming back to. 
And that, of course, is the centrality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we'll come to today, 1 Corinthians 15. <coughs> it sort of reminds us of this place of Jesus' resurrection. Uh, just to pick up from where we were last week, I'll look at verses 3 to 8 to give us some context, because he lands quickly on the resurrection in particular. He says of Christ, For what I received I passed unto you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of them are still living, if you want to check them out, of course. Though some have fallen asleep, that they've died. Then he appears to James, who's Jesus' brother, then to all the apostles, the apostles another category apart from the twelve, and last of all appeared to me that as poor as to one abnormally born, out of sequence, strange. The burial of Jesus testifies to his death, that we don't just go, Jesus died, Jesus rose, he was buried, bodily buried. The resurrection is tied to his death, and he's really dead. He came to life with skin and bones and all the physical apparatus of a bodily life. That's what the resurrected body would look like. We'll come back to this later on. The wounds that he died with, he still had. Remember? Look at my side, look at my hands. The wounds were still there, but he's also not quite the same, even though he's still got the same bodily look. Anybody who approached Jesus after he rose, if their eyes were open, clearly knew it was Jesus when he was on the beach. They knew straight away it was Jesus eating food, having breakfast. And any approach that we have in the Christian life that somehow disconnects Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection is just utter foolishness. Um, sometimes the hypothetical question is posed to Christians, oh, what would you do if they found the bones of Jesus buried somewhere in Israel and we finally found a remains still in the tomb? What it would mean to your Christian faith? And I've heard, in my own hearing, sometimes, well, meaning Christians say something like that, well, I'd be disappointed, but, you know, I still have my faith because Jesus was a great man. And I say, absolutely true, he was a great man always men of the millennia. However, if Christ is not risen, the Apostle Paul will say you've got a complete load of garbage. Here's what Paul says. If Christ is not risen, risen, in verse 17, your faith is futile. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. He's saying if he's not risen, well, we've got a pile of obvious Garbage. There's nothing here to see, nothing to cling on to. If Christ is not risen, you and I are wasting our time today. You and I are wasting our time trying to sustain our churches. You and I are not involved in anything of any significance that's going to last any length of time. It's just a nothing. We are to be pitied more than anyone else, he said in verse 17. Really, you think of all the people who can be pitied in the world, but for poor if you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus bodily, you're pitied more than anyone else. You're wasting your time totally. 
The Bible never asks us to believe anything that's not true. The, the word true and truth really matters. We hang on to what is true. I was uh, dealing with some folk recently and they were talking about how helped they were by various uh, charms they have uh, now on the necklace or necklace or around their wrist or hurting other people doing things in their, in their house and how they ward off different powers and how they have a, a line in their internal powers uh, of their life so they can live better lives. And when you ask, well, how do you know? Well, so, well simple response, well, it works for me. It works for me. And that's sufficient. Now, if it's effective for you, I'm glad to hear it. But the Christian faith is not on the basis that has it worked for you so far. It may and it should, but it's also more significantly based on what is true. And Jesus' death and his resurrection are verifiably true. Not just thrown out there because there might be interest to people. <clears throat> and so in a sense, we want to insist always the resurrection is historical. It's found in time and space. Jesus from the dead bodily, continuing, uh, there's continuity from his previous world, but there's something different about him. He could be seen, he could be touched, he could be handled, he could eat food, move around. But at the same time, there was something different because he could suddenly appear and disappear. He'd appear in a, a closed room and then disappear again. So clearly it was Jesus that could touch him, but there's something changed about him. Paul calls this Jesus having a spiritual body or a resurrected body or a heavenly body. I'll read from verse 35 to 44. But some will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but it's just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives a body as he has determined to each kind of seed he gives his own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh and another, animals have another. Birds another and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies of one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another and the stars another. And the stars different from star in splendor. So woe, so it will be in the resurrection of the dead. The body that is so imperishable is raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, raised in power. So natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. So this is Jesus' body, which is a prototype for all those who will be resurrected. There's a spectacular supernatural work of God operating in history where the body is raised, which is not what it once was, and it's changed to be able to inhabit eternity itself. So we come to Christ's resurrection in your present. Of course, Jesus' resurrection, historically verifiable, is not just, again, a matter of history. It has a bearing upon us today. As the gospel is received, we saw last week, personally, this resurrection of Christ comes to us powerfully today. And so uh, different ways of thinking about this is that the blessings that Christ has gained for us in the future have come to us 
today. So the future, come to us. So it's talking about salvation. We are securing Christ, that glory will be ours. The final judgment is certain. We are found alive in Christ. Well, that comes powerfully through the resurrection to us today when we receive Christ. We were changed people. The final declaration of sentence of not guilty, forgiven, freed, eternity is ours now. We're already, in the language of the Bible, justified and sanctified. But I want to notice something else about how the resurrection impacts us today. Uh, look at verses 32 to 34. It's a bit of an odd section, but I'll work out the significance in the resurrection here in a moment. Paul writes, If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought, and stop sinning, for these are some of the, some of the ignorant uh, of God, uh, so, so, some who are ignorant of God, I say this to your shame. Now, who are the wild beasts he fought in Ephesus? He writes from Ephesus. I think it's a struggle that he's got personally and ideologically with the group of Ephesus coming at a great cost as he contends for the gospel there. It was tough. It wasn't straightforward. It was hard work. Going back to where we looked at verse 58 last week, it was labor. And he's simply saying, well, if the resurrection didn't occur, why is he fighting so hard for Jesus? It's a nonsense. Why give himself for this task if the resurrection is not true? But then he says, if we have no future with Christ, why do you care what you do? Just go on and live your life. Eat, drink and be merry, so to speak. If there's a resurrection, a whole life is meaningless because it's got no end point that matters. If there's no resurrection, just do your best. Elbows up, go through life, look after yourself, do whatever you like. But he's saying that is not the case. And that's why who you associate with and about character, he comes to because the resurrection changes our character. It gives life purpose, direction, and a change motive because we have Christ for us in every way. But Christ's resurrection is not just for today. It's also about your future. The gospel comes because of the final transformation that will be ours. There's things said here in these verses that we don't fully grasp, but I'll read them out and I'll try and explain them. Verse 50. I declare to you, brothers, he says, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I'll tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality, and the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. It's not enough to say what we have now matters. Lift your eyes and look at what we will have. We don't reflect much about this, but this is where this passage goes. Look at the resurrected life. 
imperishable, eternal, immortal, certain, death removed. For a couple of things to pick up here, just for our reflection, because we don't do it, our eternal position in Christ is physical. We will be known as each other. <clears throat> we don't know what age and stage, all sorts of speculation, when you're raised, what age you're raised and stuff like that. I could choose a certain age, it's all irrelevant. But my physical being will inhabit eternity. I'll be known as who I am, as you'll be known as you are, because Christ has shown that to be. And it won't be spiritualized. It is physical and real. And that's the issue of Corinth. Because in the end, what is physical matters, what we have today in the body also matters. In other words, what you do in your body life in this world matters to the Lord whether it be your sexual life, your money life, other things, how you live with your body matters. In Corinth, they thought, oh, what's your spiritual world matters? What you do with yourself, who cares? And Paul will have nothing to do with that. Because the resurrected body is what we'll have, life in the body today is also matters. And the whole of the book is dealing with those sorts of, the whole letter is dealing with those sorts of issues. So what is about Christ's example that we can understand? Well, as I said, but he did eat breakfast. The disciples saw him as a normal, everyday human being. They touched him, they clinged to him. Uh, he was clearly Jesus, but there's some, again, you can materialise in ways we didn't understand before. What's the significance of what's going on here? Well, the spiritual heavenly body we have will not be able to inhabit it or be impacted by sin. And so sin and death are done away with. Practically what this means, death, disease, deterioration, all the products of perishable life are no more. Our bodies are going to be fit to inhabit a world without sin. A physical world, which I don't understand all the details, as new heavens and new earth, that we will inhabit around Christ forever. Now, why does this all matter? Why do we need to be reminded of this word? Well, all of our lives will finish somewhere along the line. And I want to say to each of us, sin and death is not the final word on anyone's life. Death was not the final word on Jesus' life. And it will not be the final word on anyone's life. 1 Corinthians 15 speaks about the unflinching reality of life that is to be found in Christ when you take hold of the gospel, where death is no longer clinging and sin is removed. Um, until recently, um, it just feels like our lives were comfortable, relatively prosperous, doing well, and we, we had enough things going on to our fingertips to feel distracted and making sure our life would feel like we can sort of last to the next holiday or whatever things. And some people, some terrible things, but keep on saying, you know, we can find a way forward where all will be okay. And there's nothing wrong, I want to say, with enjoying football. I love my football. Don't mind a cup of coffee. Don't mind going on holidays. And I can have all those things. And say, oh, that'll keep me going. <coughs> no, it won't keep me going. They're a temporary state of affairs. Enjoy them. Be thankful for them. 
But when we live in life in the world, we have the inevitable, inevitable shadow of death constantly over us. It just falls everywhere. Um, I go to the gym regularly. You know what I smell when I go to the gym? Not the smell of sweat. I smell the fear of death. People trying to make sure their lives are secure and fit. And I say, enjoy it. I go to the gym. So not being a hypocrite, but you can't remove death. And the resurrection reminder that we find ourselves facing this stark reality and the eternal weight of glory, as C.S. Lewis speaks, needs to impinge upon our hearts. And so the resurrection of Christ now and in the future and our present now and a presence in the future with Christ needs to come upon our hearts and minds. So listen again to verse 54 and 57. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the immortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where are death is your victory. Where are death is your sting. sting. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he has given us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Gospel people are unstoppable in the world because death is not going to conquer them. Death has lost its sting. It's destroyed because sin has been paid for in Christ. Christ died for our sins. Remember that? The power of sin is broken. Our demands on our life have been paid for. We are freed and forgiven. Death is not hanging around us in the same way. Yes, like Jesus We still have tears of sadness. Death is still outrageous, but we have the glory of the resurrection ever before our hearts and minds and changes and transforms us about how we would live. So death is swallowed up, and at the second coming, it'll be swallowed up completely, and then we can look forward to that moment of glory. There's a famous story of a very well-known evangelist called John Chapman when he used to deal with people in the last stages of life and then he'd come to their funeral and he had a chance to speak, he would say something like this. <clears throat> the bugger beat me to it. Is that our way of thinking? John Wesley used to say of his fellows, look how well they die. This might seem like a topic that we don't reflect upon much. But the enemy of death has been defeated. Death is destroyed. The sting of death is gone. And Christ is our victory. Therefore, we are the people who sustain ourselves in the work of the Lord with this wonderful news that keeps us going right through to eternity. I pray. Father, thank you for your word that's come to us powerfully today. Thank you for the resurrection of Christ from the dead. But Lord, we pray that will come to us again. Remind us that we're caught up in your purposes in this way. And the eternity that is before our eyes, with resurrected bodies, would fill our hearts with wonder and joy and strength to love and serve you in the world with all we have. Thank you, Father, for this today. In Jesus' name. Amen.